Welcome, and thanks for joining us at the Central Baptist Victoria podcast. Today, as we continue our series on questions Jesus asked, our desire is to be challenged by his teaching and changed more into his likeness. Now, here's today's message. The scripture reading is Matthew 7, 1 to 6. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, or follow along in the sermon notes handout or the words on the screen. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Man, for those of you who know me, I think some of you used to jokingly refer to me as the crying pastor. These are not good ingredients for keeping dry eyes. Goodness sakes. No, but this is so exciting to be back with you. And uh, to those of you who are online, we welcome you as well. Um, Man, I got to tell you, like, for those of you who are still online, uh, may I encourage you, um, we are built for community and we have seen the um, the outcome of, of, of far too much isolation. And so uh, I hope and implore you that if, if you are still watching online, uh, not asking you to not be safe, but man, I encourage you to come back because when you taste and, and, re- and remind yourself of how good it is uh, to be with um, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and, and just to be a part of this community, that is a great and wonderful thing. Um, for those of you who are new here who don't know me, uh, from 2010 to 2020, I had the privilege of serving here as the pastor of outreach and missions. I didn't even know a role like that existed um, when I was uh, in my, doing my master's in leadership and management, but uh, this church made a decision uh, wanting to uh, improve and, and be better engaged both locally here in the city uh, and to continue the history and the legacy of this church uh, in their engagement globally. And I had the privilege of, of coming and serving with the pastoral team here. Uh, so many uh, good people here that I had a chance to serve with. And um, yeah, this is a very special church that has had a long legacy here in downtown Victoria, uh, but has also sent many abroad. And um, if this is a church that you are checking out for the first time, or it's a church that you're just starting to get to know, uh, one of the things that I recommend to you and, and I think is so special about this place is that it's one thing to just come to church, to just do it as a religious activity. Uh, it's another thing to be a part of the church. And one of the things that you'll have an opportunity here is not just to come and consume and just to take what's in it for you, uh, but to use the gifts and abilities that you have to serve the Lord. Um, there's so many different ways to do that in ministries here at the church, uh, both here in the church and then outside the building. Uh, but there will also be opportunities to go abroad. And I know even a couple Sundays ago, we had uh, my good friend Toru and Claire Inui, who are over here uh, from Africa 
Uh, they serve in South Sudan. It was wonderful to hear their testimony and, and so grateful that the church continues uh, to put their resources into that. And I, I guess finally, as Tina said, the, the thing that I love here is that when we talk about giving, because that's something that you hear a lot about at a church, um, the thing that I always used to say is that, well, if this church is effective at taking the resources that God has given through you and through others, and they steward them well, well, then that's a good place to give. If it's being used effectively, then absolutely I encourage you to continue to give. And then that's a great accountability uh, to make sure that we are stewarding those resources well. Um, now, I, I serve as the Dean of Students at Briarcrest College and Seminary in Cairnport, Saskatchewan. Uh, so a big departure from, from leaving the island and moving to the prairies. Uh, but I've been serving there, again, through the pandemic. And as you might imagine, and part of the reason why I chose um, this question that Jesus asked for, for my turn uh, at speaking in this series is because this is what I've been sitting in the midst of for the last two years. So I joined the staff in May of 2020. I was working full-time here and full-time at the college, but of course we were all online and trying to figure out how to navigate this uncertain time. And as many of you know, we had no idea how divisive that season was going to be and how it would entrench people because of convictions and because of beliefs. And yet, unfortunately, sometimes that caused separation and it caused fracture. And it was very hard for people to understand, like, have you not done your research? Have you not seen the news? Have you not experienced what's going on? And, and unfortunately, judgment was one of those things where it's like we started to look at each other through eyes of disbelief. Like, how could you believe this? How could you not want to go this way or the other way? And I had the privilege, and, and man, pastoral ministry was great, a great training ground for it, uh, to be put up at, by Briarcrest as their point person for COVID. And so myself and the dean of college uh, had the privilege, but also the challenge of navigating all of the uncertainty um, I got to do about 400 to 500 contact traces, and man, we had two full outbreaks at the college, but God is good, and we were able to be open throughout. Um, we were able to uh, offer students an in-person experience uh, throughout, and man, it has been a joy to work alongside these young people, which is one of the things that I got to talk to you about before I left, uh, to be able to walk alongside these young men and women as they are in some very formative years of their lives and of their faith as they're being trained. Um, and then as they go out from that place, uh, hopefully we are doing a great job of raising up the next generation of young leaders and um, young people. So I'm grateful uh, to be back. I'm grateful for the opportunity, man, to baptize my boys uh, and now to be here uh, to speak to you. Goodness gracious, I'm going to be back and forth here. Why don't we even mention those things? It's just a trigger. Um, but just for context, again, if you're, if you're new here, what Pastor Phil introduced last week is a series that the church is going to be going through over the next few weeks called Questions Jesus Asked. Because that's one of the styles of the way that he taught was he asked a ton of questions. And unlike a lot of the teachers of his day who maybe quoted each other or, or just reviewed the uh, scripture, he taught with authority. And he not just taught with authority, he lived with authority. And he showed his power in so many different ways and it caught people's attention. This was not like the teachers of his day. And as Pastor Phil said, um, we hope to do three things. We hope to be challenged by his teaching so that by the renewing of our minds, that we would think well. 
We hope to be enthralled by his wisdom, captivated by his wisdom, so that we will worship well in all aspects of our lives. And then finally, we want to surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit that is working in our lives to conform us to Christ so that we can live in the way that he modeled and that he taught. And today's passage, this, this passage on, on the speck and on the log in your eye, uh, this is a passage that unfortunately has, has often been abused and misinterpreted. Uh, you know that tattoo that you'll have to see, that only God can judge me. Well, for those of you who were here while I was on the pastoral team, something that I would often say when I was speaking is I I sometimes feel like I'm not bringing anything new. Uh, This has all been said before, and there's truth to that. Um, But beautifully, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, we have God's word, and God's word is living and active. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable to us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Uh, So this morning, I hope that we will hear from his word and from what he taught, and that we'll pull out and and flesh out uh, what that looks like for us to live this out in everyday life. So let's pray. Father God, it has been a, a special morning already, and to see those five baptisms, to hear their testimonies, to hear uh, the work that you have been doing in and now through their lives. Um, we're thankful for the worship, and we're thank you for Urban Adventures, for the young lives uh, who got to hear the gospel and uh, who were blessed by the many volunteers and staff and pastoral team that poured into them this week uh, for all the smiling faces and the great experiences that, we, that, that, that they had. Um, but more than anything, Lord, we pray that, um, that seeds were planted, that they would have heard the gospel, maybe for the first time, and that they learned about your love, that you created them, that they are part of your worksmanship, and um, that they are created for good, and they are created with a purpose, and may they one day uh, desire to know that and to live that out, uh, to honor and glorify you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Central and all the things that it does uh, to honor and glorify you both inside and outside of this building. Uh, Thank you for the team. And um, I just pray that as we come into the scripture, Lord, and as we uh, just review what you taught, that uh, you would be our teacher and Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, that the things that you've laid in my heart would be be helpful and uh, would enable us to, to live in ways that bring your name, honor, and glory in all of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So one of the things that I was thinking about when I'm going through this is, do you ever people watch? Uh, I'm guilty. And I have this habit of when I'm just wandering around and coming back on holiday is a, a much different experience. But even when I was a pastor, I used to just walk the streets of Victoria. And my goodness, it is a, it's a fun look. <laughs> there are people of all kinds, and it's so enjoyable just to, just to see the, the foibles and the quirkiness and just the, the oddities that are out there. Um, but unfortunately, this is a bit of a human condition, and it isn't always positive. It isn't always funny. Um, sadly, too often, we're quick to make determinations about other people just based on our viewing of them. And even more concerning is that we can easily be wrong um, about what is really going on with others because we don't have all the facts. We're just doing it at a glance. Uh, And then conversely, we often see ourselves through a very positive light 
And we see ourselves in comparison, often better than, or more humble than, or other things like that. And too often, with very limited information and uh, maybe an absurd confidence in our character radar, we can make inaccurate judgments uh, that expose our prejudices. When we look at how people, uh, how they look, how they speak, uh, what they do, how they act. And unfortunately, we see others' faults so easily, but then too often justify ourselves and make, when we make the same mistakes. And I love this quote by Steve Martin, uh, the old comedian from SNL. He said, never judge a man unless you've walked a mile in his shoes, because then you'll be a mile away and you'll have his shoes. But unfortunately, that is kind of what judgment can be like sometimes. It's like a, it's like a hit and run. And sadly, often when we are the recipients of that judgment, we can lose something. It can impact our reputation. It can be divisive. It can be hurtful. And how many of you have been judged, um, maybe because of your past, maybe because of how you look, maybe because of what you've said or done, or conversely again, how many of you have unfairly judged someone because you didn't have all the facts? Now, some of us have been judged by people who don't know us and, and you know, you kind of wonder, well, why, like, why would that happen? But maybe even more hurtful is when we have people who we think do know us and we experience their judgment. I suspect that it'd be fair to assume that we've all experienced this in one way or another. And uh, I hope that as we, we go through our passage today, uh, that we'll see how Jesus confronts that critical lifestyle. And one of the things that he was doing at this point, this is part of his Sermon on the Mount. This is a part of a whole pile of teaching that he was giving. And in the context of all that he was teaching, he was confronting especially the religious leaders of the day. He was also warning his followers, just like you and I, uh, specifically how unhealthy a critical lifestyle is and how much God despises that kind of attitude. So when he asks his audience, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye when there is a log in your own eye? You got to see the humor in that. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. And, and, and I like, I've heard an analogy of like, this is looking at something like eye surgery. Well, goodness sakes, like how tender is our eye? And how would you like it if the surgeon was coming to do, take this little speck out of your eye with a massive log in his eye? It's, it's absurd imagery. But what Jesus was doing was he was using this absurd imagery and this humor to wake people up from their sleepy perspectives. So as we consider this question that Jesus has, I just broke it into three parts. That's pretty common here at Central. We're going to begin with yourself. Then, with humility and grace, judge others. And finally, to discern when to withhold. So we're going to begin with ourselves. Now, a man wanted to impress his friend uh, with his eye for art uh, when he was going to an art gallery with them. Um, but he forgot his glasses, and it turned out that this man was um, yeah, unreal nearsightedness. I couldn't even barely tell his own reflection um, when he didn't have his glasses on, but he figured, uh, I know how to speak the language and figured he could just wing it as he goes. And so he'll just use some abstract comments and, and observations just so that he can impress his friends. And so he approached a frame and he began criticizing, ah, like, why would anyone want to paint something so hideous? It's ugly, and it's, I mean, it's a true rendering of the object, but why waste time painting such a disgusting subject? And everyone around him was laughing, and his wife leans over and whispered in his ear, uh, John, it's a mirror. <laughs> well, Jesus leads into this question with an instruction. 
that before we make a judgment, we need to begin with ourselves. And there are two reasons for this in the judgment that he talks about. And the first is that we shall be judged. The tense of the verb judged in this passage signifies a once for all judgment. And I know it's a beautiful summer day and Kevin has to talk about eternal judgment on Sunday morning. But that is part of what Jesus taught and that's part of what he's addressing here. That the way in which we judge others, it's, it's preparation for that eternal judgment and it will be returned to us. So when we first judge, our, uh, sorry, as Bible commentator Warren Wearsby states, the Pharisees, these religious leaders that Jesus was confronting, they often played God. So they would condemn other people for their behavior or for, the, for their mistakes, uh, but they were never considering that God would one day judge them. So Jesus was confronting this behavior and offering a stern warning of the judgment to come. And the second thing is that we are being judged. Right? The parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38 is very helpful here. And um, the reason we talk about parallel passages is because in the Bible, we've got four gospels. We have four eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life. And just like when you're watching the news and you get different eyewitness accounts, they each see from different angles. Some of them will flesh it out more. Some of them will give a simple statement. And so here in Luke's version of this uh, talk, he says this in verse 37, 38, Jesus said, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I think a lot of us have experienced this in our lives. You receive from people what you give. Condemnation and judgment have a boomerang-like effect. And so the kind of judgment and the measure of judgment often comes right back to us and we reap what we sow. So Jesus is addressing both eternal and present day consequences when we judge others. And the context of Matthew 7 clarifies that the thing that Jesus is calling out is our critical disposition. When we look unfavorably on the character and actions of others, which almost inevitably leads to the pronouncement of rash and unjust and unlovely judgments upon others. Jesus takes aim at the spirit out of which our judgments spring. So again, we begin with ourselves. If we allow the Holy Spirit to deal with our junk, to expose our um, flaws and our failures, then with pure and clear motivations, um, hopefully that we can be more able to help others and serve others because we've dealt with our own stuff. So we best exercise necessary discernment um, and humbly receive God's correction before we look uh, to observe and then to address others' characters and flaws. And Jesus does this. He occasionally points out some things that we may not want to hear, but that we absolutely need to. Um, we are often ill-equipped to address other, others' faults, and we can be deluded without even knowing it. And we won't be able to see or hear what the Holy Spirit is seeking to confront unless we first humble ourselves to receive his correction first. And then, if we take the time to take the logs out of our own eyes, and search our own hearts and come clean with God about our flaws and our failures. 
The other thing that's going to be a consequence of that is that we're likely not going to have the time or the energy or maybe even the motivation to wrongly judge or condemn others. And then we might actually get on with the business of loving God and loving each other. And Jesus didn't just teach this. He lived what he taught. Jesus allowed himself to be wrongly judged. His betrayal and his torture and his crucifixion and death They were the fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And I believe it's going to be on the screen beside me. Isaiah 53, 7 and 8 said this, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus was condemned to death without a fair trial. And who could have imagined what would happen to him? His life was taken away because of the sinful things that humankind has done. But Jesus was an expression of God's love and of his justice because he mercifully took on God's judgment on our behalf. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here is Jesus, the the only one who is without sin, who because of his life and his death and his resurrection was therefore qualified and appointed by God to be the judge of both the living and the dead. And I think we could all agree that we're grateful that it's Jesus who sits in that place of authority and not any one of us. So why did God allow Jesus to be judged? Why did he allow Jesus to be condemned? It was so that you and I and all who might believe might be saved. His perfect righteousness, this right living, this perfect obedience to God, it healed the broken relationship that sin had caused. And man, we praise God for that. Now back to today's passage. Jesus is the only one who is truly able to judge. And what does he teach us? What does he instruct us? To not do it. so that we might be able to be free to love instead. We can do this because ultimately the judgment, the ultimate judgment does rest in his hands. So justice is still going to be there, but love prevails. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about Christianity. And I heard my friend Wesley Huff, uh, he posted this a couple days ago, but one of the, the unique thing about Christianity is that it's where justice and mercy meet. So if you just have love and it's on its own and you don't have justice, that's not really love because there is a justice that's being unmet. And I love how he, he took justice and then mercy because mercy is that thing that we, we don't get what we do deserve. And we often talk about grace. Grace is when we do get what we don't deserve. But mercy and grace are side by side. So in Jesus and what he did for us, There was justice. God's wrath was met and sin was dealt with, but there was also mercy. And when you believe in him as as the five who confess today that Jesus is Lord and that you want to give him your life, that mercy is granted to you and you will get what you don't deserve. God's love to be a child and son and daughter of God. That's so awesome and wonderful about the Christian message. 
But this is a tension we don't always live in very well. And all too often, Christians slide to one side of the pendulum or the other, either to this ever-loving, love everyone, um, and tolerate everything, and don't judge anything, or they'll go to the other side and be like a fire and brimstone, condemning, judging, legalistic framework. But neither fit what Jesus taught and modeled for us. God is both love and he is a God of justice. And then finally, just to conclude this, this section on a practical note, um, when you do this, when you begin with yourself and you do this process of self-examination, I just want to warn two dangers to that process. The first is the deception of a shallow examination. When we maybe just like a glance in the mirror, so we can be so sure of ourselves that we fail to examine our hearts honestly and thoroughly. A quick glance in the mirror will never reveal the whole truth. In James chapter one, we are instructed to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And then the second extreme is the danger of perpetual autopsy, Right? We're just continually drilling into ourselves. And sometimes we can get so wrapped up in that, in that self-examination, that we actually become unbalanced. We cannot only look at ourselves, or we will become discouraged and we will become defeated. Rather, we must look in faith at Jesus Christ and receive his forgiveness and his restoration. Because Satan is the accuser, and he enjoys it when we accuse and condemn ourselves. The devil will use guilt and shame to isolate us, to pull us away from community and accountability and correction. But the work of the Holy Spirit is different. The work of the Holy Spirit is convicting. And convicting isn't condemning. Convicting draws us back towards community. It draws us back towards God. It draws us towards a redemptive posture that wants to turn away from the things that are pulling us away from God and then to turn back to him and to receive accountability and correction and forgiveness and restoration. So again, Jesus instructs us before he gets into his question to begin with ourselves. And once we have judged ourselves honestly before God and remove the things that blind us, then we can move to the next step and with humility and grace, judge others. So at the turn of a century, there was a very distinguished astronomer named Sir Percival Lowell. And what I learned about Percival Lowell is that uh, he was esteemed for his study of the solar system and especially uh, a particular fascination on the planet Mars. And now he was certain that he had determined that there were canals on the surface of the red planet and that these canals were proof of intelligent life there. And the balance of his life was spent squinting through a giant telescope in Arizona, mapping the, the channels and the canals that he saw. And he was so esteemed that his teachings gained wide acceptance. Uh, but since that time, our space probes have orbited Mars and even landed on its surface. And the entire planet has now been mapped. And no one has seen even one canal. It is now assumed that Sir Percival Lowell had a rare eye disease 
which is now called Lowell syndrome, which makes a person see the bulging blood vessels in their eyeballs. Now, this is just one of many stories where humankind, from our limited perspective, has brought to us many error-filled ideas that later get exposed as foolishness. Judge not that you be not judged is probably the most abused text in the Bible. People who don't even follow Jesus may be able to quote uh, no other verse but this one. But it's a wrong interpretation of the verse to think that we can't ever judge anyone, even if they're an unquestioned sin. Because when interpreting scripture, as, as Pastor Phil talked about last week, we have to be sure to consider the context. The context of the surrounding verses, the context of the chapter, the context of the particular book, and even the whole of the biblical narrative. Because if we were to pull out any one verse from scripture, apart from recognizing the unity of the Bible, we can make that verse mean almost anything that we want. And so when considering the many texts outside of this passage, uh, of Jesus' teaching, we quickly learn that Christians are absolutely called to discernment and to necessary correction. And so in this second section, we're going to step out of the passage for a second and look at the context and look at other verses in the biblical narrative. So for example, even in verse six of our passage today, Jesus instructs us not to give what is holy to dogs, nor pearls to pigs. Later in this chapter, in verses 15 to 20, uh, Jesus warns against false prophets and instructs us to observe the fruit of their lives, right? There's evidence of, of their character and what they believe. He describes them as wolves in sheep's clothing and that we must discern them by their fruit, the outward evidence of their faith in everyday life. We must practice a level of judgment as we observe them. And there are people in the world and even in the church who will not only reject, but even become hostile toward God. There are some who will twist scripture to make it say what they want it to say and to lead people astray. They may even want to fight or destroy us if we confront them on that. Therefore, discernment is necessary to determine whether or not to share what's holy and or valuable uh, when someone can't appreciate it. Later in verses 21 and 23 of Matthew 7 are some of the scariest verses in the Bible. Jesus, Jesus warning that some who do things in the name of Jesus will not enter the kingdom of heaven because they were lawless. God knows our hearts. He knows our motivations. He knows our intentions. And ultimately, he will judge us and know who has faithfully submitted to his lordship and served in humility and grace from those who just use Jesus for their purposes and their plans. Christian love is not blind. The apostle Paul instructs in Philippians chapter three, or chapter one, verses nine and 10. Paul says to, his, to the believers there in Philippi, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And I love this exhortation because of the focus that you may approve what is excellent. And what a great shift of perspective that is on the theme of judgment and how we judge others. So Jesus doesn't want us to live foolishly. He shows us the way of wisdom that we must first be able to see clearly. And in humility, we have to deal with ourselves and our own sin. 
Um, but then that purpose of self-examination is to serve others and to see what is excellent in them. And one of the hallmarks of Christian community is that obligation to help each other, to grow in grace, to spur one, one another on, to use the various gifts and abilities that we have, and then as a whole to honor God together. When we do not judge ourselves, we not only hurt ourselves, but we also hurt those to whom we could minister. And again, the Pharisees that Jesus was confronting in Matthew 7 judged and criticized others, often to make themselves look and feel good. But Christians, we should judge ourselves so that we can actually help others look good. And that's a massive difference in posture and in behavior. In other parts of the Gospels, Jesus called the Pharisees as blind because they saw the sins of other people, but they would not look at or consider their own sin. So again, if we don't humble ourselves to receive his correction and his refinement, we too will be blind and unable to guide others in their spiritual walk. So that we do not lead other people astray or engage in judgment that isn't helpful, uh, the following things uh, could be important to you as you consider how to engage in humility and grace at uh, the judgment of others. The first is, be careful of judging people's hearts. A judgmental spirit will often assume the worst about others. In 1 Corinthians 4, uh, verses 4 and 5, Paul said, For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not acquitted because of this. The one who judges me is the Lord. So then, do not judge anything before the time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light the things, the hidden things of darkness and reveal the motives of hearts. Then each will receive recognition from God. So often, when critiquing others, we go beyond the limitations of our human judgment. And we must learn heart, we must leave the heart motives to God because he only ultimately knows. The second thing to be careful of is judging people out of an evil attitude, right? If we do the work of self-examination, we search our own motivations. Um, are we confronting people because we're angry with them? Um, is it, is it out of genuine love and concern or is it because maybe they have done something to us and now we're retaliating? Is it anger? Is it jealousy? Is it pride? Do we take joy in another's demise? 1 Corinthians 13, 6 describes love that it is not glad about injustice, but it rejoices in the truth. 1 Peter 4, 8 says that love covers a multitude of sins. It does not spread gossip or speak evil of others behind their backs. Proverbs 16, 28 says a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer can separate close friends. So these types of judgments harm the work of God. And then finally, the third thing to be careful of is be careful of judging without all the information. Scripture forbids hasty judgments. Proverbs 18.10 says, the one who gives an answer before he listens, that is his folly and his shame. And it's interesting to consider that in scripture, even God, who is omniscient, God is all-knowing, that he gathers information before pronouncing his final judgment. With Adam, 
When Adam and Eve ate the apple, God asked if he had eaten from the forbidden tree, though he obviously knew the answer. With Sodom and Gomorrah, God sent angels down to see if the outcry against the city was true. So if even God gathers all the facts before making a conclusion, how much more should we? It is good to remember that when the Holy Spirit works in our lives, its judgment and its correction is constructive. It refines us. It draws us to the Father and it corrects what is harmful within us and it builds others up. So when we judge others in humility and grace, as it instructs in Ephesians 4.15, we need to speak the truth in love. When we do this effectively, we mutually grow up into every way into Christ's likeness. This type of humble and gracious correction unites the body. It holds us together, enables us to be healthy and to work together properly as we should. That is what brings glory to Jesus. So please don't stop making intelligent and wise discerning determinations about others and when you should confront and when you should exhort and, and, and rebuke. But before doing so, ensure that you have had the humility to examine yourself first and then to take a gracious and tender loving approach when you're confronting others. And then finally, the third thing, to discern when to withhold. Because jumping back into Matthew 7, we do have those verses in, uh, in verse 6, sorry. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I mean, Jesus knows that we have a limited perspective. So he warns us about a lack of discernment and exhorts us to know when to withhold. Because we must not cheapen the gospel by a ministry that lacks discernment. Working with the illustration that Jesus uses in our passage, I would think of eye surgery. Before performing surgery, the surgeon must evaluate the readiness of the patient. On some occasions, even though surgery is needed, they may postpone or cancel the surgery altogether for various reasons. And good surgeons practice great discernment. In the same way, spiritual surgery should be performed with wisdom and discernment. In verse 6, Jesus says that we should not give what is holy to dogs or throw our pearls before pigs. And the dogs and pigs that Jesus was addressing in, in that first century context, these aren't domesticated house pets. These are more like wild scavengers who would even attack people to steal their food. And in the Jewish context, pigs were ceremonially unclean. So the Jews didn't domesticate them like the Gentiles did. Jesus uses these animals to illustrate that some people will not recognize the value of God's truth. And they might even mock the gospel and those of us who follow Jesus. There are a few examples in scripture where Jesus and his followers discern to withhold. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus refused to talk to King Herod because all Herod was looking for was a spectacle. Paul refused to argue with people who resisted the word in Acts chapter 13. And one of the most common things that Jesus did was he used parables and he used them to hide the truth. Sometimes he would explain uh, the message to his disciples at a later point. But as he says in Matthew eleven fifteen, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And I've seen this firsthand. I had the privilege on many occasions of running Christianity Explored here at Central. And it was one of my favorite things to do because people came from all sorts of backgrounds and beliefs. And they came because in Christianity Explored, no question was off the table. Every question was fair game. And we'd do the work. And I loved it because every single time I ran the course, I'd have different perspectives and different questions. Sure, there were lots of things that were similar, like, you know, if God is all love, then why is there suffering? And there were lots of questions like that. But each of you have your own story. Each of you have a unique perspective. And that's the beautiful thing about what God offers us is he doesn't hide Although he used parables, it's like if you want to seek and you want to weigh the evidence of who Jesus is and what he taught and how he lived, you can do that. And then you can come to a determination on your own if this is a Jesus, if this man, Jesus, is the one that I want to give my life to. Some people would come to that and read God's word and they were hungry to know his truth and to determine for themselves if the gospel was true. But others, they would just harden their hearts. They couldn't believe it, and they had other passions and other desires that were just more important to them. And they prevented them from humbling themselves to receive what Jesus had to offer. So when you study scripture, you will see that Jesus always dealt with individuals according to their needs and their unique spiritual condition. Interestingly, you might notice that he doesn't have a memorized rehearsed speech for everyone. Uh, When he was with Nicodemus, he discussed the new birth. When he met the woman at the well, he talked about living water. When the religious leaders tried to trap him with the young adulterer, he didn't even respond. He actually just redirected them to address their own sin before casting judgment on this young woman. It is dangerous to not deal with our own sin while at the same time wanting to deal with others. And maybe we do this because it feels good. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this famous quote that everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Unfortunately, um, we are often comfortable with that feeling of superiority, of being better than, of being more humble than, more forgiving than, more holy than. But again, this is not the way of Jesus. He knew what he was called to, and he both taught and modeled for us a life of humility of self-examination, of wisdom, of discernment, of grace, of forgiveness, and obedience to the Father. So with all of this said, to live this out, we need the patience of Jesus. Because friends, uh, we are called to share this gospel far and wide, both with those who are willing to hear the truth and with those who are unwilling to hear it, in the hopes that they will receive the good news of Jesus. And that they would be willing to continually learn and grow and mature in the faith. And may that be something that's a mark of this church and a legacy that we continue uh, to produce. And when they can't receive it, and maybe when they reject it, sometimes we must wait patiently and prayerfully until they're ready to receive it or until the Lord uh, chooses to do his work there. In the future... Before you respond uh, to the urge within yourself to judge someone else, listen again to Jesus' question and begin with yourself. Address your own logs first. Then, in humility and grace, confront others. 
But do it because you want to build them up. Do it because you want to spur them on out of a spirit of care and concern and compassion. And finally, discern when to withhold and when to prayerfully and patiently wait on the Lord. Uh, Let me pray for you. and, And as I do so, I welcome the team to come back up. Heavenly Father, these are, this is one of those passages that um, we've all experienced. Uh, sometimes we've been on the wrong end of it, um, both in, in the judgment that we pour out on others, and uh, sometimes we've been on the receiving end of, of judgment that was unfair and unjust. We thank you for your life, that we can look to your example and see that the ways that um, some of the times when you were silent when others were condemning you and some of the times when you did speak up and you did confront, but you did so to wake people up. You did so to draw people to God's truth and God's good news. We thank you for your life and for your death. We thank you for your resurrection, that you are alive and that you ultimately sit in that seat where you will judge us because you know our hearts and you know our motivations. Holy Spirit, purify us. Uh, transform us from the inside out and, and change our motivations and change our heart that we might love others, that we might want to build them up, that we might, even in our confrontation of them, uh, bring out the best in them. Continue to bind uh, this congregation here at Central Baptist Church uh, to you and to your purpose and will. Uh, thank you for, for our family here. Just pray a blessing on their ministry. I pray a blessing on their search uh, for a new lead pastor. Uh, May they honor you in that search. May they continue to honor you and bring honor to your name in this city of Victoria. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.